Breaking news coming into us here on Going Deutsch. We're hearing that Kylian Mbappe, after demanding a transfer from PSG, is going to Karlsruhe. Okay, probably not, but, you know, a man can dream. It'd be nice. It'd be different. Surely someone wants to go to Karlsruhe. Anyway, run the intro. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Deutsch podcast, a look back at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by the Sports Splits. And I believe this is the first time we've covered Der Klassiker on the podcast, at least the first meaningful Der Klassiker. I think the last Der Klassiker when Going Deutsch was a thing was on one of the articles. I could be mistaken, it might have been on one of the podcasts. No, it can't be, it must have been on an article. Anyway... Obviously, Der Klassiker has been the premier fixture in the Bundesliga for a long time now, at least since Borussia Dortmund have been a serious contender year on year. Even if it's not the you know biggest game for the two teams, it is the game that most eyes descend upon when it comes to German football. And to be honest, my mood for this podcast could have been significantly different if the final minute of Der Klassiker didn't go the way it went. It would have been really interesting to try and cover that. And, you know, I try to stay unbiased, but sometimes uh, I don't I don't really want to be. And that would have been a perfect example if Bayern Munich had gone on to win Der Klassiker. But, yeah, it was a good game and a good weekend of German football as per usual. And I know a lot of Borussia Mönchengladbach and Köln fans be going, well, don't forget our rivalry. We had our rivalry at the weekend. And obviously that will not be forgotten, though I'm sure Köln fans actually, now I think about it, were going, actually, you know what? Feel free to not talk about it. It's fine. It's fine. You know, all is forgiven. We don't have to talk about the game at the weekend. Unfortunately for you, we, we do have to talk about it. Anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember to go to anchor.fm forward slash vsportsblitz to find a way you can play this podcast. You can also play it there or you can keep doing whatever it is you're doing because you're currently playing a podcast at the moment. And remember to go to the Sports Blitz website for writing about football and other sports, including the Week 5 Power Rankings in the NFL. They'll be coming up soon. And of course, this week sees the NHL return. I'll be doing a small article looking back at my favourite moments from the last season of the NHL. Anyway, before we go into anything else on this podcast, we do have to address maybe the biggest football controversy of the weekend, which was the Ecosias Carlos Puyol farce i i'm not going to talk about this in a lot of detail because if i do i'll start getting very 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 angry and swearing but ikasias seemingly came out as gay on sunday morning i think and carlos puyol had written a response saying that oh we should tell our story Ika. and obviously after a torrent of homophobic abuse which was Depressingly unsurprising, Ikasias would release a statement saying that his Twitter account had been hacked. Carlos Puyol would apologise for the remarks saying that it was a very bad joke and he shouldn't have made it. Now, let's get one thing out of the way. First of all, Ikasias' account was 100% not hacked. 
people don't hack into celebrities' Twitter accounts, make one joke, and then immediately hand it back to the person, it's normally a bit more complex than that. So it's absolutely... It, if you believe it, you are a moron. You're objectively a moron if you believe that to be the case. The only people who would believe that are people who are lying to themselves because they like Ika Casillas for whatever reason. I don't think anyone can have any ounce of respect for him after what he did because coming out is not a joke. And we've seen this in football, this sort of the reluctance and the nervousness of gay footballers to come out because, surprise, they do exist. But because they're so worried about the just wave of abuse they'll face if they do come out, they decide to keep it a secret. And so ECCS coming out would have been a big deal and it would have been, you know, something that they could go, well, maybe I can come out one day as well. Of course, it being a joke, which it 100% was, it was not a hacked Twitter account. Don't believe that moron and what he claims because he's realised just how horribly this has backfired. But that's going to now make them even more reluctant to come out and it's going to impact their mental health and it continues this major pressing problem that football has with homophobia. And you saw that in the responses to Ikasias when it seemed like it might be serious that he was gay. And you've seen it since when people have been correctly denouncing the actions of Ikasias and heavily condemning him. We've seen what some people on Twitter, the literal worst place on planet Earth, have said to them in response. It's been absolutely disgusting. The whole incident is disgusting. There is no other way to look at what's happened, and there's no other way to view Ikasias and Carlos Puyol except for with utter contempt, because it is one of the most disgraceful things that has happened in football this year. I want to end this on two notes. I'm recording this on World Mental Health Day, the 10th of October 2022, and if you are in need of mental help, then I'm going to leave a few links in the description for where to get that in the UK and Germany because that's obviously where this podcast is listened to the most. I'll also leave some links to some LGBT charities if you want to help the fight against homophobia as well. But I would like to think, and it might be an overly optimistic statement, that for every Ikasias, for every Carlos Puyol, for every homophobic Twitter troll, there are 100, 1,000, 10,000 people who are willing to support the LGBT community. And hopefully we can prove that by making our voices heard. Anyway, it's now time to go into the Bundesliga and of course we have to start off with the most important game by far. Augsburg won, Wolfsburg won. What a monumental point for Nico Kovac. Okay, no, we're not starting there. We're of course starting with their Klassiker. To be honest, if Bayern Munich had won, I would have felt far less obligated to put this game first in the running order. But luckily for me... And for everyone who doesn't support Bayern Munich, that did not happen. Also, everyone who supports Schalke. 
Borussia Dortmund 2, Bayern Munich 2. And of course, the end of this game is going to be remembered far more than the 93 minutes of the game that came before it. But we should probably have an analysis of the 93 minutes that came before it. Bayern Munich opened the scoring in the 33rd minute. Leon Goretzka with a shot from long range that, well, it could have been maybe saved, but it wasn't the most egregious ever that Alexander Mayer would commit all night. We'll get on to what that was later on. The big controversy from the first half was whether Jude Bellingham should have been sent off. He had a yellow card given to him that we will say was questionable and um, by questionable I mean completely ridiculous and later on in the half he accidentally kicked Alfonso Davis in the head he was going for the ball relatively high up in the air went through with his foot didn't make contact with the ball made contact with Davis's head and the referee decided not to give him a second yellow and send him off so, obviously, this has the Bayern Munich fans up in arms. They've been complaining about it pretty much non-stop ever since the game and during the game. And going, ah, oh, Dortmund fans always complain about the refereeing. This was actually the first Der Classico in a while in which I don't think there can be any complaints about the refereeing at all. And uh, we, uh, we get to complain. I bet, I bet they'll still be complaining my my theory about this, I do think it was a yellow card, but my theory about it, and I believe uh, some Borussia Dortmund fans have been saying it online, and actually the, the ex-referee who Sky Sports in Germany get on regularly said it as well, the referee sort of probably thought after giving the yellow card for that ridiculous non-incident that Bellingham did get his yellow card for, I shouldn't have given that. That was a that was a bad decision. And so because of that, he decided not to give him a second yellow card for that kick on Alfonso Davis. It's definitely not a straight red. Now, credit to Bayern fans, I don't think they're saying that. But I just wanted to clarify it's definitely not a straight red because he's not there's no malicious intent in it. He is going for the ball. And so, you know, you, you don't give a red card for that anyway. But I think the fact that the referee had given a yellow card earlier on for a incident that he came to regret was probably why he didn't decide to give a red card later on, or a second yellow later on for that. And so Bellingham was definitely somewhat lucky to stay on the pitch, but it's not the daylight robbery that some, and I stress some, Bayern fans are making it out to be. Not all, just a fraction on the internet, which is really the worst place to get your football opinions from anyway. It's definitely not the Felix Wire game of last year. That was really egregious. This was nowhere near that, though it is understandable to maybe point out that Bellingham was lucky. So, Bayern Munich entered the half-time break 1-0 up. Julian Nagelsmann, at this point, decided to make three changes, which raised some eyebrows because you normally only see such drastic action from managers who are losing. Uh, Nagelsmann was not. But credit to him, those changes actually worked. Bayern Munich started off the second half much better than they had been at any point in the first half. And when they doubled their lead to make it 2-0, it really looked like game over already. 
This one coming from Leroy Sane, a long range shot. Alexander Meyer in the Dortmund goal definitely should have done more about this one. It was really bad goalkeeping, of course. Dortmund are missing their starting keeper, Gregor Kerbel, who almost certainly saves that shot. Meyer was unable to, and that put Dortmund 2-0 down. And to be honest, at that point, it felt like game over. It felt like there was no way that Borussia Dortmund were going to come back. They were given some small reprieve in the 74th minute. Yusofa Makoko becoming the youngest goal scorer in their Classica history. And we're going to be talking about him after this goal. But Anthony Badest was the person who got the assist on that. And at that point, for a neutral, it felt like there was actually reason to believe in Borussia Dortmund. Erdin Terzic had made some changes of his own. Those changes had worked as well, and so why not? Why could Dortmund not come back into this game? Of course, I am not a neutral in this Der Classica conversation. I am a pessimist, and therefore I thought there was absolutely no chance that Dortmund would come back into this game. And to be honest, my pessimism wasn't helped in the 83rd minute when Anthony Modeste, who had set up that Makoko goal, missed a absolute guilt-edge chance to get the equaliser. And oh boy, if what happens next doesn't happen, we would be talking about that for a long time. Modeste's chance to really warm himself to the Dortmund faithful and just choking on it. And it was a bad miss as well. He should have been scoring that. A striker of his quality who showed as much last season at Köln should be scoring chances like that one. And to be honest, that always felt like the overwhelming theme in Der Classic over the last few years. No matter how many chances Dortmund get, no matter what Bayern are like, they always find a way to screw it up and to give Bayern the three points and, by default, the Bundesliga title. However, that's not what would happen this time. The game swung again in Borussia Dortmund's favour in the 90th minute when Kingsley Kerman was sent off for two yellow cards. And unlike Bellingham's yellow card that he actually got, there can be no debate about this sending off because both of them were clear yellow cards. The second one, I don't know what he was actually thinking, but it was almost like he was trying to become yourself in Makoko's coat. Like he was all over the back of him. And that is going to be called 10 times out of 10 by the referee. And so it was absolutely brain dead and as Raphael Honigstein said on Sky Sports' coverage of this game, because Sky Sports actually do care when it comes to their Classica, and I wish they would care more about other games, but Raphael Honigstein was in the studio for this, and he said, getting sent off is not a thing you associate Kingsley Coleman with, and if you'd sort of asked who's going to get sent off in this game for Bayern Munich, Kingsley Coleman would be far down your list of players who was going to get sent off. But he just, two moments where he sort of had like a rush of blood to the head, and sort of made these really weird decisions. And it cost him in the end, and ultimately would cost Bayern Munich, because after that, Bayern in their defending looked really shaky. They were nervous. Borussia Dortmund were piling on the pressure. And of course, it is worth pointing out, it's the first time we've had a full capacity attendance at the Westfalen Stadion in a while for a Dare Classica. And the yellow wall, oh boy, were they doing their job to suck that ball into the back of the net. And they did so in the 94th minute. 
Anthony Modeste. Incredible work from Nico Schlotterbeck to keep the ball in bounds before that. And he chipped the ball to the back post for a Modeste header. And oh boy, did the stadium erupt. I can just imagine how amazing it was to be in that stadium. Unless, of course, you were with Bayern Munich. Because the scenes afterwards were simply fantastic. And you can tell that Anthony Modeste is liked by his Dortmund teammates. You can tell that because they all rallied around him after that goal. They were all there to support him. Kareem Adeyemi was shaking the camera. It was absolutely incredible. The scenes that we associate German football with, with the passionate fan bases and the incredible atmospheres. It was there all to see at the end of Der Klassiker. And of course, the best reaction of all was Bayern CEO Oliver Kahn's reaction because <laughs> he just sort of like nearly falls into his chair. It was, oh, just incredible. And you can see him going, ah, sort of <laughs> reaction. It, it was brilliant to watch as somebody who is not particularly fond of Bayern Munich, but who can respect them and Oliver Kahn because, you know, they're Bayern, they're incredible. But finally, Borussia Dortmund had got something against Bayern Munich. Yes, it was just a point, but with the circumstances of how they got it, it did feel like a win. This was a Borussia Dortmund side who were 2-0 down, and of course, in previous years, if they'd gone 2-0 down to Bayern Munich, they would have just completely folded for the rest of the game. But this side, under Erdin Terzic, who has been up and down, hot and cold this season fought back to get what could end up being a monumental point. You know, we've already mentioned the Felix Wire game, and on the Bundesliga review last year, I said, if that game was officiated properly, the gap at the top of the Bundesliga wouldn't have been eight points, it would have been two points. So that can show you just how monumental this game is when it comes to the Bundesliga title race. And who knows, that point could mean everything at the end of the season. At least I hope it will mean everything at the end of the year. That's not even an anti-Bayern point. I just want a title race. Wouldn't it be nice for a change? You know, we see them in the Spider. Why can't we have one in the Bundesliga too? Maybe I'm being spoilt, but it, it would be nice. Dortmund, over the last few years, it is no secret, have been absolutely terrible against Bayern Munich. Since Bayern have started their run of dominance in the Bundesliga, the two sides have played 20 games against each other, before this one anyway. In those games, Borussia Dortmund have won three, drawn four and lost 14. And that includes eight straight defeats to the Rekordmeister that have more or less ended their campaigns to win the Bundesliga the last time Dortmund won the league, they did the league double over Bayern Munich. And obviously that means that six points gained for Dortmund, six points lost for Bayern Munich. And that can more or less decide the league. It did that year. It could have done last year. And that's one of the biggest reasons as to why Bayern Munich have won the league 10 years in a row is that they've had Dortmund's number through this entire run. So getting a point is really big considering the eight straight losses and they got that point despite the fact that they're more banged up than Bayern Munich are 
we mentioned this in the last episode. You could nearly field a starting eleven with all of Dortmund's injured players, though. Of course, when I said that last week, Vimadi Amy hadn't come back and he he was fit for for this week, so less of a full starting eleven now, but still, still close, still close than you'd want. And granted, obviously Bayern Munich were missing Thomas Müller in this game, and a lot of Bayern fans will probably take the viewpoint that if Müller had been playing. They win, and that would not be an unfair assessment, but it's something. It's something that can show that Erdin Terzic and Borussia Dortmund could potentially challenge for the title. If they can clear up their losses that they should not be losing and put in a game at the Allianz against Bayern later on in the year, then they could actually be serious title contenders. Of course, it would also help if the football gods stopped having this weird vendetta against them and kept injuring all of their players. That would be simply super. But this is something for Borussia Dortmund, and it is the most positive you can feel about their title aspirations in, well, a very, very long time since... Probably since our last win against Bayern Munich, which came back in the 2018-19 season, which was also, by strange coincidence, the closest Borussia Dortmund have been to the title realistically in this run of Bayern dominance. For Bayern Munich, they'll probably be fine still. There's obviously going to be disappointment about how this game ended, but all in all, they went to their biggest title contenders and picked up a point away from home, which is what normal teams are happy about. Of course, Bayern Munich will never be happy with a draw or a loss or anything that isn't a 10-0 win. But still, for any other club, this would be seen as at least somewhat of a positive. Kingsley Coman might not want to talk to Julian Nagelsmann for the week, though, because that red card was very costly. Okay, let's move on then to the other big derby that took place in the Bundesliga this weekend. Borussia Mönchengladbach 5, Köln 2. And let's start off, Mock the Week has finished unfortunately on the BBC, but let's start off with a nice game of, if this is the answer, what is the question? The answer is 258 bottles of wine. No, the question is not how much wine do I drink in a week. <laughs> the answer is actually zero for that one. But the question is, what did Jonas Hoffman give to Borussia Mönchengladbach staff as a thank you upon signing his contract extension? Apparently, he's from, if I remember correctly, Heidelberg, which is a place famous for its wine production. So that's probably why he decided to gift wine to all the hard-working staff at Borussia Mönchengladbach. It was a lovely gift from him and it was a vintage performance from Borussia Mönchengladbach in this derby easily the better side they opened up the scoring in the 27th minute Marvin Friedrich heading in the opener really helping his standing with the Borussia Mönchengladbach fans Köln would level just four minutes later though the ball came in Dejan Lubacic decided to take a big swing at the ball and he completely missed it and caught Florian Kainz's leg who would score the resulting penalty. It wouldn't be the last time Kynes would be involved with a penalty because before the half-time break, Borussia Mönchengladbach would have a penalty, would get their lead back, and Florian Kynes would be sent off. He elbowed Jonas Hoffman. Granted, it was on accident, but it was an elbow, and therefore it was worthy of a second yellow card. 
Rami Bantabani would score the penalty. So 2-1 of half-time break and of course a big uphill challenge for Köln if they wanted to get anything out of this game. Being down to 10 men against this Borussia Mönchengladbach side for a whole half. As you heard, they did not achieve anything close to that. It became 3-1 just after the second half kickoff. Lars Stindl with a strong finish from outside the box. Became 4-1 in the 76th minute when Rami Bantabaini had a tap-in. Köln would get a goal in the second half. I'm going to apologise for how I pronounce this. Denis Husenbasic capitalising on, we'll say, not the best defending from Borussia Mönchengladbach. But to be honest, it was already game over at that point. And if you didn't believe it then, you probably believed it when Marcus Turam added an extra goal in added time. Good finish with the outside of the boot. So yeah, obviously the red card changed the game for Köln as soon as that happened. Against a Gladbach side who have been playing really well. They didn't really have much of a chance. And it's hard to be too upset, except for, well, not even at Florian Kynes, because it's not like the Kingsley Coleman red card, where he had these two moments of madness. The second yellow card, where it was a yellow card, was purely accidental, so you can't, you can't be too upset. For Borussia Mönchengladbach, it continues to have a really good start to the season, and it's a sort of game that you would want to celebrate with champagne and rock and roll and partying, unless, of course, you're Daniel Farker. In the post-game interview, he said, quote, coffee and cake on the couch after a football festival like that, unquote, when asked what he was going to do to celebrate the win. Well, to be honest, Daniel, so long as it's a nice piece of red velvet cake, I would be more than happy to join you. Oh, what the heck? If Daniel Farco offered me a conversation with coffee and cake, I wouldn't care what type of cake it is. Bayer Leverkusen for Schalke nil. Of course, this game was big because it was the first game for new manager Chabi Alonso, the former Real Madrid and Bayern Munich legend who has been coaching with Real Madrid and Real Sociedad, at least at the lower levels, finally getting his chance in, well, I guess major management. Then again, he coached in the Spanish second tier with Real Sociedad B, so that's nothing to turn your nose up at. Anyway, he's getting his chance in the Bundesliga with Bayer Leverkusen. First time he's managed a first team, I guess. And he took that chance in his first game, a dominant 4-0 win. And you can see from game one what Xabi Alonso wants to do. And even if you hadn't been following his coaching career, which, understandable, it's exactly what you would expect from a player like Xabi Alonso. They wore Schalke down, they kept the ball, they kept possession, and they made Schalke run around all over the pitch, wore them down and then exploited the spaces that came up as a result. They took the lead in the 38th minute, Moussa Diaby with a great hit from outside the box. And over commentators on the world feed were saying that maybe Shlowo should have been able to do more with that. But to be honest, for me, it was quite a good hit anyway. So it was... It wasn't his greatest goalkeeping ever, but it was understandable. Just three minutes after that, they made it 2-0. Jeremy Frimpong, who had easily been the best player in the first half and would go on to be the best player in the second half as well, getting a deserved goal, slotting across Lowo into the side of the net. Leverkusen's dominance would continue in the second half, 3-0 in the 53rd minute. Again, Jeremy Fringpong, who was absolutely exceptional in this game. This might be the best game he's ever played in the Bundesliga. It, it was great. Good passing play before he was played through by Moussa Diaby. 
And then Paulinho would add the icing on top of the cake in the 90th minute, springing the offside trap. A great pass from Amin Adli to help him score. So, yes, it was an exceptional performance from Xabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen. I think the potential for Alonso to be a great head coach has been seen already. And, of course, he's had those stints in Spain with the, I think, was it the Real Madrid under 14s? And then Real Sociedad B. And it was clear he was going to get the opportunity to coach at the top level. I'm very excited to see how he does with this by Leverkusen side. With so much good young attacking talent. Defence could do with a bit of an improvement. But there is a lot to work on. Of course, Bayer Leverkusen finished third last year in Bundesliga. There is nothing to suggest that they wouldn't be able to finish third again this time. Well... There's nothing to suggest that through the rest of the season they can't be the third best team in Germany. I, I think I think third's out of their reach by now, to be honest. Because after this game, 15th on 8 points. They are currently 8 points behind Bayern Munich in third. It's possible, but you know that shouldn't be their aspiration this year. If they can get back into Europe, it will be a considerable success. I that's through finishing 7-4 above in the league or winning the DFB Pokal. That should be the aim now for Bayer Leverkusen. But the Xavi Alonso era does show a lot of promise and I wish him all the success in the world because he is a likeable man from what I've seen and he has facial hair that anyone envies, but especially me because, you know, if you've seen my beard in real life, you'll know it's not exactly Xavi Alonso quality, but I don't I don't think that's really relevant to this, this podcast <laughs> anyway. Speaking about Schalke for a bit to distract us from Xavi Alonso's amazing facial hair game, this game was not good for Schalke and it's not a surprise because obviously it's a sort of new manager bounce for Bayer Leverkusen and it's not exactly a traditional relegation six points. I know Schalke came into this game on six points, Leverkusen on five, but... Leverkusen, as soon as they hired Xabi Alonso, were clearly going to be a lot better than a relegation contender. So this isn't like your traditional six-pointer, but it's still going to really, really suck for Schalke because as soon as they were down, they could not get back up. Like I said, they were completely worn down by, by Leverkusen. And whilst it's understandable that Leverkusen would be the better side, it is not understandable that a Bundesliga side, who are in the Bundesliga on merit are playing that poorly that quickly. It should have taken Bayer Leverkusen a lot longer before they had broken Schalke at the very least. And of course, this isn't helping the rumours that Frank Kramer might be out of a job soon because maybe it's looking at Werder Bremen, maybe it's just the fact that this side should be doing better, but they have started off the season poorly and Frank Kramer's seat is starting to get hot. Supposedly, he's not going to be sacked after this game, though if you see a correction in the description box, I'll tell you he has been. It is this sort of time of season that teams start making moves with regards to their managers if they're feeling unhappy. And of course, we'll get on to that later on, but it wouldn't surprise me if Frank Kramer is on a win-or-else basis from here for the considerable future. Still, the Chabby Alonso era getting off to an exciting and entertaining start. I can't wait to see more of it. Hoffenheim won Werder Bremen 2 after this game originally because this was the Friday Night Football 
Werder Bremen moved up into fourth in the Bundesliga table. Stop the count. Stop the count. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't because Borussia Dortmund's win meant they dropped down to fifth. I know. Shocking sack Ole Werner. They opened the lead in the 18th minute. Marvin Dush getting his second goal in two games. Him and Full Krug worked really well together. It was a really good finish by Dusk. Maybe this is the start of something. I really hope this is the start of something. Finding his feet in the Bundesliga. Fingers crossed for that. Munus de Boer would equalise though for Hoffenheim in the 32nd minute. He chipped it over the keeper after a counter-attack. And to be honest, as much as I like Marvin Dusk as a striker, when he's the only man who's really going to be able to stop a attack from the opposition, that's not particularly great news. It looked like that was going to be that, um, that the teams would have to settle for a point. But in the 87th minute, Werder Bremen were gifted a penalty. I thought it was slightly just about the correct call. Andre Breitenreiter did not agree with me. Surprise, he thought it shouldn't have been given a penalty to Werder Bremen. Like I said, I agreed with the decision from VAR to give a penalty but it wasn't a, a clear-cut penalty, so reasons to maybe somewhat complain, but not that much. I mean, I know I'm biased towards Werder Bremen, but I'm not as biased towards Werder as Brighton Reiter is towards Hoffenheim. So I, I think my opinion slightly more... I'd like to think my opinion slightly more trustworthy. Anyway, Nicholas Fulkrug scored the penalty that would give Werder all three points. That's his eighth goal in nine games. Levan Fulkrug, as he might be called by literally no one, because that's a terrible nickname, and it doesn't work. But apart from that, Werder Bremen are working in the Bundesliga, and Ole Werner is doing a fantastic job at the helm of Werder Bremen. This is nothing that you've not heard before. They weren't necessarily the like clear better side in this game, but they have a newly promoted side playing a side who could have been in the Champions League if they were slightly more competent towards the end of last year, dash a lot more competent towards the end of last year. So, more good news for Werder Bremen. They're currently holding a European spot. They are in fifth place after nine games. I don't think anyone had that down at the start of the year. Neither did anyone have this at the start of the weekend. Bochum 3, Frankfurt 0. Yes, really. Frankfurt actually started off the better side of this game. I'd say through the first half, they were the better side. That would not remain the case in the second half. After battling for quite a while, Bochum would take the lead. A Philip Furster cross was headed in by Philip Hoffman for what seemed at that point to be a rare Bochum goal. But Bochum would get quite used to this whole goal-scoring malarkey. In the 87th minute, they would use a Frankfurt defender. Evan and Dicker would send Philip Furster's free kick into his own net. To be honest, it didn't look like anyone else was going to get onto it. Maybe the keeper could have saved it if it wasn't deflected in by Indicker. But it was a perfect cross to cause maximum mayhem for Bochum to score. And then after assisting two goals, essentially, Philip Furster would get one of his own. A really good finish from the edge of the box, straight into the top corner. Nothing that Kevin Trapp in the Iron Trap Frankfurt goal was going to be able to do about that. 
This is the first really good game for Bochum this year. This is the first game in which they've been the better side. And this game accounts for 38% of all of Bochum's goals so far this season. Before this game, they had only scored five through their opening eight fixtures. Of course, it also means that it accounts for 75% of all of Bochum's points this year because they've only got one point through their last eight games. Of course, Thomas Lech was given quite the baptism of fire last week when he had to go up against Leipzig in his opening game. But taking on Frankfurt, he did a much better job and there can be at least some course of optimism for Bochum this year. It looks like, based on granted one performance, they're not going to be the new Goethefurf or Schalke. So that's good, but they're still obviously going to be in a relegation battle for Eintracht Frankfurt they continue to be weird. After being the 11th best club in Germany, but one of the best clubs in Europe last season, they've now managed to have a span of two weeks where they have been easily the best side against league leaders Union Berlin, and then easily the worst side in a game against bottom of the league on one point Bochum. So, you know, if you're expecting a stable, solid, easy ride supporting Eintracht Frankfurt... Prepare to be disappointed, though to be honest, they've been entertaining through most of our games, so I can't imagine fans complaining too much about how Frankfurt are doing overall, but they will definitely be complaining about what happened in this game. Okay, let's go into the rest of the games then from the Bundesliga this weekend. Hertha Berlin 2, Freiburg 2. The goal scoring opened in the 22nd minute by my favourite Bundesliga player, Bar Nicholas Fulkrug. Daniel Kofi Chure, who's really finding his feet at Freiburg after a not great start I think it's fair to say that I when I saw that he'd gone to Freiburg I was like he's gonna hit the ground running there he's gonna be absolutely fantastic from day one he was not but having played really well with St Pauli he's now making the jump up to the top of the Bundesliga and playing really well for Freiburg over their last few games Dodi Lukabakio would equalise from the penalty spot, a clear handball in the build-up to give that before Stuart Serdar would give Hertha Berlin the lead, a really good game by Stuart Serdar, very long way out his shot as well into the bottom corner, good finish, but Freiburg would get a valuable point in the 78th minute, a drop from the keeper Oliver Christiansen, capitalised on by Kevin Scharder. And yeah, this is another game that really sums up that tweet we mentioned earlier on in the season that Hertha look worryingly competent. Because again, they were worryingly competent in this game. A few real great performances from the likes of Serdar, Luka Bacchio, Tassart as well played particularly well. And yeah, bar one mistake from Oliver Christensen, it's hard to really say that any player didn't perform in this game. So... Hertha Berlin still moving in the correct direction under Sandro Schwartz. So that's really the best they could have hoped for this season. Meanwhile, for Freiburg, while obviously it's not ideal to draw with Hertha Berlin when you're, you know, joint top of the league, but, you know, they're, they're still up there. But they are now two points behind Union Berlin, who capitalised on Freiburg dropping points by winning 1-0 against Stuttgart, to go two points clear at the top of the Bundesliga table. The only goal of the game coming in the 76th minute, Paul Yakel with a header. 
There are a few manic moments just before the goal, just after the goal in particular, where Stuttgart could have scored but weren't able to capitalise. There was one moment where they hit the post. There were a few others where they had uh, shots cleared off the line. So it's not like Stuttgart didn't have any chances in this game. And I think on paper, you know, nine times out of ten, Stuttgart do probably get a goal in this game. But it just wasn't meant to be. And of course, it was clearly all over when Sehu Garassi got sent off in the 83rd minute. He had two yellow cards in five minutes. His second one, a really stupid challenge on Morton Forsby. He was always going to get sent off for that. And speaking after the game, you knew that Pellegrino Maserato thought it was the end. He was saying they've been a great bunch of lads. They're, they're going to be fantastic for Stuttgart. I'm re I really root for this team, no matter who's on the touchline. And his pessimism about keeping his job was understandable and on Monday he was fired as Stuttgart head coach. Pellegrino Maserato has been a successful coach for Stuttgart. He took over whilst they were in the Spice Bundesliga, he guided them to promotion, he got them that incredible ninth place finish upon their return to the Bundesliga and then obviously last year wasn't great but they had a lot of injury struggles during that last campaign, he wasn't able to build on that though this year and that's why Stuttgart have taken the decision they've taken and that it is understandable. But at the same time, it is worth acknowledging his success. He's the longest tenured Stuttgart manager since Armin Weyer, like more than a decade ago. So he has done incredibly well and I'm sure he will not struggle to get another job because the talent he has as a manager is quite clearly there. So best of luck to him for the future. He has always been a really likeable manager as well. And I'm sure a lot of clubs who are, you know, not so keen on their manager at the moment will have fans who are very interested in hiring Pellegrino Maserato. As for the other two games then, Mainz won, Leipzig won. Marcus Invartsen gave Mainz the lead of the 45th minute, a really good chipped pass from Anton Stach to set him up for that. But Christopher Kunku would save the day for Leipzig in the 80th minute. Turns out he's quite good. For all their attacking talent, Leipzig again failed to be clinical in this game. They could have had four or five if they had, you know, been able to take some of their chances. But in all fairness, Mainz were defensively resolute, as we come to expect from them under Bo Svensson. And so they did deserve a point. Final game, Augsburg won, Wolfsburg won. Wolfsburg's Yannick Gerhardt got a tap-in in the first half. It was matched in the second half by Robert Gumney, scoring a goal that can only really be described as scrappy. So both sides probably deserved a point. To be honest, I didn't pay any attention to it, so I don't really know. Anyway, let's have a look at the Bundesliga table then. Union Berlin still top the table there on 20 points after nine games. And this week, once again, they have the lead to themselves after Freiburg's dropped points against Hertha Berlin. They're second on 18 points. Bayern Munich and Dortmund third and fourth on 16. Meanwhile, Werder Bremen fifth on 15 points. Who would have had Werder Bremen being a point behind Bayern Munich after nine games. Absolutely incredible. Borussia Mönchengladbach on the same number of points in sixth. At the wrong end of the table, while Boken might have got their first win, but they're still last on four points, one point behind Stuttgart on five. Schalke on six are in 16th place. Okay, let's go down into the Spiter Bundesliga van and let's start off with the Sports Eins Saturday night game because remember, the golden rule... It has to contain hamburger. 
but they drew one all with Kaiserslautern. HSV have, of course, been in very good form recently, so it was no surprise when they took the lead in the 24th minute. Granted, it was through one of the strangest goals of the weekend. A shot was saved by Andreas Luter. It bounced off Robert Glatzel's knee and then bounced off the foot of Luter and into the net. It was absolutely as strange as it sounds. If you're confused by that description, then, to be honest, the only thing that's going to clear it up for you is actually watching the goal because... It, it didn't make much sense how it went in, but it's that sort of look that it feels like HSV have not had, well, since they've been relegated and before they were relegated. So maybe the football gods are unfortunately smiling down on them for a change. Please stop doing that. Robert Glatzel, of course, has scored quite a lot of goals this season in the Spider Bundesliga and scored a lot of goals since he joined HSV. This was the least skillful of all of them because he just happened to be standing in the right place for the shot to bounce off his knee. So, okay. That was the only real action of the first half. second half was started by all of the flares in the universe from the Kaiserslautern fans. Honestly, you could not see anything on the Sportines broadcast. It was absolutely ridiculous. For fans of the NFL, I don't know if you remember the Fog Bowl, but it was almost approaching that level of, like, misty, I guess. Once the fog cleared up, Kai Slouten were disadvantaged because they conceded a penalty in the 81st minute. Luckily, Sonny Kittle would see his effort saved by Andreas Luter, and less than a minute later, Kaiser Slouten would find themselves level. Really neat finish by Lex Tiger Lubinger to get Kaiserslautern a vital point. It, to be honest, felt like two points dropped for Hamburger. They had way more chances, way more possession. And despite that, their only goal, the goal that gave them a point, was a complete fluke. <laughs> they had way better chances. Obviously, the penalty being the key example of way better chances. But they also had a lot of other chances through the game to get a goal that wasn't complete luck. And they just couldn't take them. Credit, though, to easily the man of the match, Andreas Luther, who put in a fantastic performance to get Kaiserslaus to that point. On any other day, it would have been all three points. But, while well, luck didn't favour Kaiserslautern on that only goal that they conceded. Anyway, Hamburger remain top of the league. Kaiserslautern remain in the top half of the table. Still an incredibly good start to the campaign for them. Heidenheim 2, Hanover 1. Another game between two sides at the top of the table. Another game in which the man of the match might have been the goalkeeper because, surprisingly, Ron Robert Zeeler did have a really good game in this one despite conceding two. The first goal can only partially be blamed on him. He tried to pass it out to, I believe, Max Bashushko. And Bashushko, uh, he he didn't quite get to the ball. It was immediately stripped off him by Dennis Tamala, who immediately shot it over a Ron Robert Zeeler who was still retreating back to his goal because he, he played it out from, like, I think just outside the box. This, this goal's not on Zeeler. It's on Bashushko because he didn't seem to be quite aware that there was a player right next to him but yeah it was one of the one of the weirder goals of the weekend not quite as weird as the Robert Glatzel goal for Hamburg but still quite weird anyway Heidenheim would double their lead in the 61st minute Tim Kleindians springing the offside trap to score 
And despite the fact that Zeela had done quite a lot, his side was still 2-0 down because of, well, no real forward game to speak of. Hanover would have 14 shots in this game, just three of them would be on target, so awesome. Cedric Tuchier would score in the 92nd minute to make it 2-1, but it was too little too late at that point. Heidenheim held on for a deserved win. It's weird because whilst Hanover have been on this good run of form, they've been really, really good going forward. This was this was not that. And obviously Stefan Leiter will have a lot to say to his attackers whilst they work on well shooting this week. Darmstadt won Dusseldorf nil. To be honest, it felt like there was only going to be one goal in this game. That goal would come in the 73rd minute. Patrick Pfeiffer with a header. Darmstadt are undefeated since their opening day loss to Jan Regensburg. That was 10 games ago now because we're in match day 11 of the season. So it wasn't exactly an instant classic, but Darmstadt did do enough to win and to keep piling on the pressure at the top of the Spider Bundesliga table. Nuremberg 2, Holstein Kiel 3. Now these are two sides who are not going to be challenging near the top. Actually, I say that Holstein Kiel have been getting better and this result takes them into the top half of the table. So who knows, for, for Nuremberg, they're, they're not in that position and don't look like they're going to be for a long time. They did take the lead though in this game. In the 39th minute, Lino Templeman driving from outside the box, completely unmarked, completely unchallenged by the Kiel defenders and he punished them. He hit a hard shot into the bottom corner from outside the box. They had plenty of time to close him down and I might be basing this off my football manager save but Templeman can shoot from far out. So you think one of them would try, you know, something... But no one, everyone went, ah, oh, we'll just stand off and we'll be fine. And yeah, like I said, he punished them as a result. Kiel would be much better in the second half. They scored their first goal in the 62nd minute. Steven Scribsey with good work to find space in the box and slot in from a relatively narrow angle. Just four minutes after that, Holstein Kiel would take the lead. Really good assist from Skribski to set up Fabian Reese. Fabian Reese, by the way, was the assist maker for the first goal. So they switched roles for the second. And that assist from Skribski really made Reese's job easy. They went 3-1 up in the 80th minute. Skribski megging a defender for a neat finish inside the box. Drove it into the bottom corner, went straight through a defender's legs. And Nuremberg would get another goal back, but it was in the 94th minute, kind of like the goal in the Hanover game, it came far too late. Christoph Daffiner getting a header. But Kiel have been improving as the season goes on. I didn't expect much from them, and let's face it, they are still ninth, which, you know, isn't isn't exactly challenging for the title. But this was the first good game in a row for Kiel. It takes them back into the top half of the table, so... Fingers crossed for their fans. Hans of Ostock, nil, Paderborn 3. Paderborn remain in third place in the Spider Bundesliga after another win. Ron Schallenberg opened the scoring of the 19th minute. A strong finish with a bouncing ball from outside the box. 
And then, even though Paderborn controlled most of the game, they didn't get their second until the 80th minute. Robert Leipert, with a great move to wrong foot the keeper before slotting home, Marvin Peeringer would add a third meaningless goal in the 89th minute. A great assist, though, from Marcel Hoffmeyer to set that up. And the weird thing about that was that Peeringer really did put his body on the line. You could see after the goal that he was quite badly, you know hurting because he you know it slid in to, to try and put the ball over the line and yeah to put your body on the line for a goal that absolutely does not matter is it's a level of dedication that i cannot match so paderborn continuing their great start to the season I'll tell you who's not had a good start to the season armenia bielefeld who lost yet again 2-1 at home to Karlsruhe. there were it seemed to be a few Venezuelan fans in the crowd for this game. That was interesting. It was way more interesting than actually watching what was going on on the pitch, watching the crowd anyway. That was that was the more entertaining part of this game, to be honest. Right up until the 43rd minute when Karlsruhe opened the scoring. A really good long ball from Paul Nabel set up Fabian Slausner, whose shot got past the keeper. That was a half-time score and the Armenia Bielefeld fans, it's fair to say, have been a bit fed up with how their team have been performing to start off this fight of Bundesliga season. You could hear the boos raining down in the Shuko Arena. And it's understandable because, again, in this game, Bielefeld had absolutely no life in the first half. They had played poorly. They deserved to be going in 1-0 down. And to be honest, the hopes of it getting better in the second half seemed very slim. Though, either Daniel Schoening's team talk or the boos actually did spark something in the Armenia Bielefeld players because they came out, they started off the second half a lot better and equalised in the 52nd minute Yanni Serra with a neat finish into the bottom corner from the edge of the box. And who knows at that point, it's a level game, Bielefeld have started off this second half strongly, they can go on and get something two minutes later, they're 2-1 down. So never mind. Marvin Wanitzek's winner in the end was even better than Yanni Serva's goal drilled into the bottom corner. It means that since Daniel Scherning took over Armenia Bielefeld, they've had eight points in seven games. I think we can now say that this is not necessarily on the managers, but they've had and more on the players and who they've signed and, well, a, a number of factors. But it also points to the fact that it doesn't feel like Armini Bielefeld are going to get better this season. It's not a blip in form. This is going to be who they are for the rest of the season. And to be honest, I would be expecting a relegation battle from Armini Bielefeld. Now, they are still in the relegation places. They're still bottom of the league, right? Yeah, they are still bottom of the league. I can't remember if it was them or Greuther Firth. And I don't, at the moment, see how it gets better. I know I've said that a lot. But Armenia Bielefeld are not offering any reason to be optimistic. It would be absolutely wild if both of the relegated sides would get relegated again. At the moment, you would have to put your money on at least one of them getting relegated. And maybe your money would be on Armenia Bielefeld because they have been dire to start off the season. Meanwhile, for Karlsruhe, they were bottom for the opening two games of the season, which is where Bielefeld are now. And yet, at the moment, they find themselves in sixth on 17 points from 11 games. They've definitely picked up. And who knows? Karlsruhe have always been a sort of boring side for me when it comes to the side of Bundesliga. They're just a sort of there. And 
you know, they've never really pushed for promotion whilst I've been following the league, neither have they been fighting against relegation. But fingers crossed for them, this is their year. It probably won't be. They are five points off third at the moment, though, so no reasons to complain for Karlsruhe fans. Lots of reasons to complain for Greuther Firth fans, though. Jan Regensburg 2, Greuther Firth 2. And yet again, this was a game in which Greuther Firth were not the better side. They were lucky to get a point against another side we expect to struggle this year. Now that Jan Regensburg have sort of bumped back down to earth. They are 13th in the league, though. So they're not, you know, they're not like Greuther Firth levels of bad. So, you know, there's that. Anyway, it was Greuther Firth who took the lead in this game. Damian Michalski. Responding to a Dejan Stojanovic spill in the Jan Regensburg goal. You know, he's had a lot of bad moments this year, which is weird because I've always viewed him as a good goalkeeper. Maybe maybe I should lower my expectations, to be honest. Jan Regensburg did equalise before the end of the first half. Khan Kaliskana scoring from a corner. I am 99% sure I have not got his name right. And I'm going to have to say it again because Khan Kaliskana got his second in the 62nd minute. It wasn't exactly the best defending from Goiter Firth, like, at all. You watch that sort of defending, you go, oh, that's why they're near the bottom of the league. Anyway, whilst their defending was nothing good, luckily their attacking was something good, and they equalised in the 74th minute. A great volley from Simon Astor just inside the box. So... To be honest, looking at this game, I would say that it feels like Jan Regensburg and Goethe Firth are similar teams this year who will have similar expectations. And that's not exactly good news for either of them because obviously both have started off the season not particularly great. There was that like three weeks span when it looked like Jan Regensburg were going to be good, but that's passed us by already. And it's hard to really have much optimism for them moving forward this game sort of feels like it solidifies the fact that they're both going to be at the wrong end of the table come the end of the season Eintracht Braunschweig 2 St Pauli 1 <sighs> yeah it wasn't it wasn't great the opening 67 minutes of the game were terrible there was nothing of interest and I was Regretting every single second I had spent dedicating my time to St. Pauli. But that changed in the 68th minute. Manolis Saliakis with the first actual good moment of the entire game. A fantastic hit from far outside the box. Easily one of the goals of the weekend. Arguably a goal of the season contender as well. And Saliakis hasn't had the best start to his St. Pauli career. But finally, he, he did a good. And he's done some good before but overall he's not been brilliant for me this was this was a piece of pure brilliance and that's where the positives and because for all of St Pauli's chances and possession they've had the same problem they've had since they lost Gigo Bergstaller and Daniel Kofi Ture which is that they cannot convert chances if they had got a second in this game it would have been game over Marcel Hartl, give him credit, he created a lot, he was one of the best players in the Spider Bundesliga this weekend, but he did not have anyone to convert those chances, and eventually St. Pauli would pay the price, Emmanuel Ferrer getting two goals, one in the 78th minute, one in the 94th minute, an absolute gut punch for the boys in brown, 
both of them the result of bad defending. Credit to Ferrari for scoring them, but he should have been given a much harder task to score those goals. They were offered on a silver platter by the St. Pauli defence. And to be honest, kind of like the Jan Regensburg goes first game, it feels like this game sort of solidifies the view that both sides are going to be at the wrong end of the table come the end of the season because it's not like Eintracht Braunschweig played amazingly in this game. They were given two really good opportunities by St. Pauli. Credit to Ferrari, he took them. But better teams would have won by more, it feels like. For St. Pauli, if they just had someone who could take chances, they'd be great. There are a lot of games, it feels like, this year where I've said... St. Pauli really should have scored more. If they'd been able to convert their chances, they would have won this game. But again, Etienne Amanido had an awful game. Igor Matanovic had an awful game as well. And it never really felt like St. Pauli were going to be able to get the comfortable lead they would have needed to win this game. Anyway, final game. Sandhausen won Magdeburg nil, And this game very much mattered to the people to which it mattered to. And well, to no one else. David Kinsombi would be on the goal of the game. Magdeburg had 70% possession. They might as well have just passed it between the back four whenever they had the ball because they did exactly nothing with it. Anyway, let's have a look at the Spider Bundesliga table then. After 11 match days, it is still Hamburger who lead the way. Boo. On 25 points. Darmstadt have 24 points in second. Paderborn third on 22. Heidenheim a fourth on 20. And then you have Dusseldorf, Karlsruhe and Hanover all on 17 points. Trying to keep up. At the wrong end of the table, Armenia Bielefeld are still bottom of the league. They have eight points. Goethe fourth, just one point above them on nine. And then Nuremberg round off the relegation places in 16th on 10, which is the same number as Magdeburg have St. Pauli in 14th on 11 points. Well, hopefully they'll be able to turn it around soon. Let's have a look at two of their next gamers against. Oh, it's the Hamburg derby. St. Pauli have had Hamburger's number for the most part of the last few years, and I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I wouldn't expect that to remain the case. So... Friday's going to be just so much fun. It's going to be great. Uh, do I have to? Do I have to watch it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Anyway, let's move on then for our whistle-stop tour of the Dritter Liga. And the lead of the league has once again changed hands. It has gone back to Alversburg, the powerhouse of German football. They've returned to the top of the Dritter Liga after a 3-0 win at home to Duisburg. Matched with 1860 Munich, losing 2-1 at home to Ingolstadt. Obviously, Ingolstadt, a better side than Duisburg. And hoping to get into that automatic promotion contention. They are only four points behind. Two points behind 1860 Munich in third place are Vehen. They've won three of their last four. After beating Zrakow 1-0 away from home. Dinamo Dresden, meanwhile, continue their good form with a 3-2 win at home to Osnabrück. They are on 20 points after 11 games. Fourth, one point off Vehen. 
It means that Dinamo Dresden are now undefeated in six games. We've already mentioned fifth place Ingolstadt to, of course, beat 1860 Munich. Wardhoff, Mannheim are also on 19 points, like Ingolstadt are, after a 1-0 win at home to Saarbrücken. So that's the top six in the Dritte Liga. Alversberg on 25 points, 1860 on 23, Vehen on 21, Dinamo Dresden on 20, Ingolstadt on 19, and Waldhof Mannheim on 19. Bayreuth are still bottom of the Dritte Liga, despite the fact they are undefeated in their last three. They won 1-0 away to Meppen. Borussia Dortmund Schwei have also not lost in their last three games. They drew 0-0 against Hallescher. And Ezebergi, ow, it really is the season for good form in relegation places. They've won two on the bounce after a 3-1 win away at Oldenburg. Hallescher, meanwhile, drew 0-0 with Dortmund Schwei, as mentioned. All of the sides in the bottom four are on nine points. Two points behind 16th place, Rakow who lost 1-0 at home to Vehen, as mentioned. Meanwhile, Meppen, also on 11 points, as mentioned, they lost to Bayvoif. Okay, it is time to wrap up with my games of the weekend. Then in the Bundesliga, I'm going to go with Union Berlin against Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, Union still top the Bundesliga table. Borussia Dortmund not too far behind, though, in fourth place. That is a Sunday 5.30 kickoff if you're in Germany. Knock off one hour for all of these times if you're in the UK. In the Zweite Bundesliga, I regrettably have to go with the Hamburg Derby. St. Pauli against Hamburger. St. Pauli have had HSV's number over the last few years. I would not expect that to be the case this time around, unfortunately. St. Pauli enter the game 14th in the league. Hamburger, meanwhile, top on top form as well. That is a 6.30 kickoff on Friday. The other game I want to mention in the Spider Bundesliga, Karlsruhe against Darmstadt. Sixth against second. Two sides who could be up there come the end of the season. One that would be more surprising for than the other, to be honest. That's a Saturday 1 o'clock kickoff. Meanwhile, in the Dritte Liga, my game of the weekend is Au against Hallescher. Two sides who have started off the season poorly. One side who have picked up form and, while well, shouldn't really be down there. But, then again, they're following Armenia Bielefeld and Firth's lead in the league above. That's 18th against 17th. Two sides of relegation places. Two sides who want all three points. Actually, that's true of every team in every game. But that's a Friday 7 o'clock kickoff. Anyway, that's all the time we have on this episode of Going Deutsch. Thank you for listening. I'll be back with more from the wonderful world of German football next week, unless the St. Pauli Hamburg result is so bad that I want to cry in a corner and not talk to anyone. So if that happens, then maybe expect the podcast to be cancelled. But for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward, and until we meet again, I'll be the same.